Last week, we started a sermon series entitled God's Design. We talked about God's design for the universe, for the world, for the created order, because it's important for us to understand that there is a distinct way that God has designed the heavens and the earth, that there's a distinct way in which God has designed humanity. And when we live out of accord from that design, we can expect nothing but floundering. But when we live according to God's design as it's found in God's word, we can expect blessing and flourishing. Today, we're going to talk about the purpose of humanity by looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Historically, this has been called the cultural mandate or the creation mandate or the dominion mandate. For the sake of this sermon, we'll refer to it as the cultural mandate as it was given to our first parents in Genesis chapter 1 at creation. This is the story of uh, the purpose of God's, the purpose for God's humanity as they're created in his image. Beginning in verse 26, it reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but know not the word of the Lord. It stands forever. Aren't you grateful that we have the word of God? Amen. Be seated, please. What do we call people who don't know who they are and don't know where they're going? We call them lost. If you don't know the story of your origin, If you don't know why you're here, you go through life with no meaning and no purpose. One of the reasons that we're going through this sermon series that that we understand that God has a distinct design for the world and for everyone in it. And one of those distinct designs for humanity is our calling and our purpose The problem is when you remove God from the equation or try to live as if God does not exist, we are left with a meaningless life, with no purpose and no true calling. But we find here in Genesis chapter 1 on the first pages of scripture, the calling of humanity, our purpose. Gabe Lyons said several years ago that Christianity has gained more conversions in America over the last 200 years than any other faith. The only problem is, he goes on to say simultaneously, Christianity has steadily lost cultural influence despite its rapid conversion and growth. There's many things we could say about that. Many reasons that have led to Christianity losing its influence in culture over the last two centuries. But one of the reasons I want to propose to you today is that we have failed to embrace God's design for humanity as it's found in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. 
The church of Jesus Christ has abandoned the mandate given to our first parents at creation, and we have given over the task that was first given to Adam and Eve to the unbelieving world. And so therefore, it shouldn't surprise us when we see the state of our culture and our society today. As I said in the beginning, when we live according to God's design, you can expect blessing and flourishing. When you live against God's design or ignorant to God's design, you can only expect floundering. And what I want to propose briefly this morning is that the people of God in the 21st century need to recapture its prophetic voice in culture for the sake of the glory of God and the flourishing of all people Nancy Percy gives us a great definition of the cultural mandate in her book, Total Truth. She said, in Genesis, God gives what we call the first job description, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world, build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, and laws. The second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world, Plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music. This passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us that our our original purpose was to create cultures, build civilizations, and nothing less. That definition of the cultural mandate concerning our original purpose of humanity makes all the difference in the world. I want us to look at two aspects of the cultural mandate as it's found in Genesis chapter 1 this morning. I want us to first look at our sacred status and secondly, our royal mission. First, our sacred status. We will never truly understand the gravity of our purpose as human beings, our calling if we don't understand how we were created in the image of God, our Being created in the image of God gives us sacred status and informs how we are to operate in this world. To answer the question, who am I, is absolutely foundational for anybody, regardless of religion, regardless of your culture, regardless of when you were born. From the beginning, we have been trying to attempt to answer the question, who am I? We are people that are constantly struggling with identity. And here in Genesis chapter 1, the answer is given to us. What is our identity? Our identity is found in what we have called throughout church history, the Imago Dei, the image of God. It is the reality that you and I have been created in the image of the creator. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We do not find our worth and our value in what we do. Listen to me. We do not find our value or our worth in what we do, but we believe we find our value and our worth in who we are as image bearers of the Most High God. Remember the context of Genesis. The people of God had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They lived in a land where there was only one image bearer. It was the Pharaoh. Pharaoh was believed to be created in the image of God alone that he served as a go-between the gods and the people. So you can imagine the people of God receiving this word 
that no, not only Pharaoh is created in the image of God, but you, male and female, are created in the image of God. You can imagine how paradigm-shattering that truth was for the Israelites when they received that word for the first time. And I pray that it's paradigm-shattering for you today. The reason we have a royal mission is because first and foremost, we need to be reminded of our sacred status. We are people that are to be sent out into the world, bearing the image of the most high God so that wherever you go tomorrow morning, you go into your place of business, you go into your community, students, you go into your school. If you belong to Jesus, be reminded that you bear the image of the creator God, reflecting and representing his glory everywhere you go. Unlike anything in all creation, humanity is the crown jewel. It is the sacred status of God's people created in his image that gives us inherent worth, value, and dignity. And it's the sacred status of humanity that informs our mission, calling, and purpose as the people of God. Sacred status makes all the difference in the world. But secondly, in Genesis chapter 1, we not only see our sacred status, that we are created in the image and likeness of God, but secondly, we see our royal mission And there's two concepts of our royal mission found in verse 28 that speak to our public cultural activity. And you'll notice that it uses kingdom language. We're pretty high on the kingdom of God here at Coral Ridge because it's the kingdom of God that informs what we do. It's the kingdom of God that informs how we operate in this world. And there's two concepts in particular in verse 28 We see this idea of expanding, and secondly, we see this idea of reigning and ruling. First, expanding. We see in verse 28 that we are called to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. What does this mean? To expand the kingdom, it means to build families and societies, and the implications are great. Although the Garden of Eden was perfect, it was not yet completed. The intention from God from the very beginning was to take the kingdom of God as it was created in the garden and expand it to the far corners of the world. Why? So that the whole world would be filled with image bearers reflecting the glory of the king. This is why we're here. This is who you are. To spread the glory of God to the nations through expanding and advancing the kingdom. To fill the world with more image bearers so that everyone might know and be drawn to the God who is a light to the nations, the great King of kings and Lord of lords. It is the idea that in your purpose and calling, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are called to be fruitful, to multiply, to expand the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. But secondly, we see this idea of reigning and ruling. We see it in two words in particular in verse 28, subdue, and have dominion. The word subdue simply means to overcome, to bring under control. It's where we get the word submission from. 
The idea for humanity to subdue the created order is to take the raw materials of the world and to subdue it, to bring it under control, to bring it under order for who? For the glory of the king. So everything you touch and everything you shape, whatever sphere of influence God has placed you in, you are subduing it and bringing it under submission for the glory of the king. But not only does it say to subdue, it says to have dominion. The idea of having dominion simply means to rule over. And you say, pastor, these ideas of subdue and dominion seem awfully heavy-handed. And we need to remember when we receive the calling. It was before the fall. You see, the idea of shaping culture for the glory of God, the idea of being fruitful and multiplying to subdue and have dominion, was call, our calling was found in this idea of being benevolent ambassadors on behalf of the benevolent king. It is sin that has caused us to be heavy-handed. It is sin that has caused us to abandon this calling and give it over to an unbelieving world. This is why we need Jesus the one who comes into the world, who redeems broken image bearers like you and me and gives us the grace to once again embrace this idea of being benevolent ambassadors on behalf of the king. But this is the calling and the purpose of the people of God, a royal mission, expanding the kingdom and reigning and ruling on his behalf so that the whole world might know his name and might know of his sovereign power. All throughout church history, there has, of course, been many debates. But one of the most critical debates has been over the idea of Christian cultural engagement. How thorough should our cultural engagement be throughout history? And John Joseph Boot, in the foreword that he wrote to Brian Matson's book, Cultural Amnesia, proposes this question. He says, granted, for most genuine Christians, it's never been questioned whether the light of God's gospel should shine. The question is, where should it shine? Should it shine privately alone in the hearts of human, and human hearts? Or should it shine in such a way that it illuminates and heals families, schools, Workplaces, businesses, governments, and other social organizations. The cultural mandate as it's found in Genesis 1 answers that question emphatically. That the light of Christ's gospel is not a light that is to be shined solely in private, but it is to be shined publicly. Wherever the people of God go, they are to shine the light of the gospel of the kingdom throughout the darkness of this world, throughout the darkness of our culture and our society. We not only have the biblical precedent and mandate here in Genesis 1 to live out a public faith, but we also have 2,000 years of historical precedent. Where do you think Habitat for Humanity came from? the vision of a Christian? Where did hospitals and universities and orphanages come from? The vision of Christians. What ended in fanicide 
and the detrimental treatment to widows and orphans in the first century in a Roman pagan culture. It was the Christian. Christianity has always been called to live out a public faith, embracing our call as it's found in the story of creation to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It means that in the 21st century, the church of Jesus Christ needs to wake up and recapture her prophetic voice in every sphere of culture, in the marketplace, in politics, in government, in education, in every sphere that God has called you, science and technology, media and entertainment needs to no longer be under the control of an unbelieving world, but needs to be under the control of the people of God, subduing and having dominion over the entire created order, not for our glory, but for the glory of the sovereign king. Amen. So you say, Pastor, what does this mean for me? A word of application and implication. Very simply, it means that if you belong to Jesus Christ, everything you do is sacred. It means when you go and you wake up tomorrow morning and you go into your workplace, there is an opportunity for a holy moment. Our teachers, when you walk into the classroom tomorrow morning, there is an opportunity for a holy moment. When you go out into the world and in your community and wherever God places you, it is a holy moment. Everything is sacred. In light of the cultural mandate found in Genesis 1, there is no unbiblical dualism that separates the sacred from the secular. The people of God, redeemed by the gospel of the King, can go out into the world fulfilling this mandate as it was given to us in Genesis chapter 1 and bring about the message of cosmic redemption and cosmic restoration. Students in our midst, if you belong to Jesus Christ, God has given you a sacred status and a royal mission. It means you can enter into the classroom tomorrow morning and discover ways in which God can use you to be light and to be salt, whether it be on the stage or on the field or on the court, God is calling you to make every moment sacred and holy. For our students going off to college, you have the distinct privilege of being called by the king to go onto your college campus and bring the light of God's word and the beauty of the gospel to a lost and dying world that wherever you go, You, if you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, bring the light of God's gospel, the gospel of the kingdom into a dark, lost, and dying world. This is the mission and the purpose of the people of God. So it begs the question, where in the world do you find the power to do this? You know, in sermons like this, the temptation is to get fired up, to be inspired, and I hope you are. But often when we hear messages like this concerning the cultural mandate or the mission of the people of God, we kind of picture God out there, maybe 100 yards ahead, and we're running to keep up. And we're saying, God, we're chasing after you. We're chasing after this mission. We're chasing after this purpose. And the image we have is 
God running ahead and kind of shouting orders back to us. But the only thing we have is the back of God. But that's not the picture we have in Genesis 1. You see, the key word in Genesis 1 is found in verse 28. It says, and then God blessed them. You see, the mission that was given to the people of God in Genesis 1 was never meant to be a burden. It was meant to be a blessing. And the Israelites would have understood the context of blessing. Whenever you receive the blessing, you never got the back. You only got the face. To get the face of God meant that you had the favor of God. And so when the people of God received the blessing from God, it meant that they had the favor of God upon them. And so this mission and purpose that we're given in Genesis chapter 1 is not meant to be a burden, it is meant to be a blessing, that this is how you can become fully alive as human beings. To experience the blessing of God is to experience what it means to live out this mission and this mandate. The problem is, two chapters later in Genesis 3, we lost the face and we got the back. But thanks be to God that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, on the cross we are told that Jesus got the back of God the Father so that by faith alone we would forever have the face so that we could once again be restored as image bearers and redeemed, that our calling and our purpose in life would not be lost and abandoned, that we could fulfill this mission and this purpose as it's found in Genesis chapter 1, not according to our power and strength, but according to the power of the gospel, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work within the church of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the kingdom, that no longer is the culture having dominion over us, but we can have dominion over it, not for our glory, but for the glory of God, empowered by the Spirit and motivated by the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know him, the one who has come into this world offering salvation from sins and offering cosmic redemption and restoration that one day we will experience heaven on earth in the consummated kingdom if we belong to Jesus Christ. So I ask you, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you repented of your sins, repented of all your vain attempts to find meaning and purpose in the temporary things of this world? Would you look to Jesus Christ by faith alone today and be a part of the greatest movement this world has ever seen, bringing light into the darkness of this world, co-laboring with God to subdue the world and to have dominion over it for his glory, and for the glory alone of the king. Boko Haram was a militant Muslim terrorist group in Nigeria, terrorizing specifically Christians. And one day they kidnapped 110 girls and led them away. They were in captivity, these girls, for about a month 
And after a month, Boko Haram released every single one of them, except for one. Her name was Leah Sherabu. Leah was 14 years of age, and the sole reason she wasn't released is because she refused to renounce Christ and embrace Islam. The girls that were released said she was sitting there on the bus with us. We were all going to be released. But she absolutely refused. Even though we pleaded with her, she refused to renounce Christ and embrace this world. She refused to renounce Christianity and what she believed and was left while every other girl was sent out to be free. Brothers and sisters, we have story after story over 2,000 years of men and women who have refused to renounce the name of Christ and have resisted the kingdom of darkness. 2,000 years of testimony of men and women who have refused to bow the knee to our culture and instead fully embrace the name that is above all names, the King who is above all kings, the Lord who is above all lords. And I ask you today here at Coral Ridge, who will stand and refuse to renounce the name of Christ in this cultural moment? Who will stand, aided by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the gospel, in the midst of the kingdom of darkness, who will stand and boldly declare, this is my Father's world, because this is why I have been created. This is why I've been designed. For this purpose, a sacred status, and a most royal mission. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, it is in the quietness of our hearts that I ask the question to anyone here or anyone watching at home, have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins and all of the vain attempts to secure for yourself what only Christ could secure for you by way of the cross. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, would you do so right now? Saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent for all of the ways in which I have tried to live this life apart from you. Now I know that through Jesus alone, he offers alone all of the forgiveness and peace, meaning and purpose and satisfaction that my soul craves for. I receive you, Lord, Jesus Christ, as my only hope in life and death. Transform me. Come into my life through the power of your Holy Spirit and make me come alive. I want to see you and savor you, and be captured by you. I want to know you and be known by you from this day forward. I belong to you as a member of your family. I came in today as an orphan, and today I leave as a child of God. And now allow me to be a part 
of the family of God, the king's people, bringing salt and light to a world that is lost and dying, not for the sake of our glory, not for the sake of the glory of Coral Ridge, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. So we pray, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.